I've been involved with kids who are on the streets in the worst not of them for about 15 years. And therefore, my perspective is coming from a very extreme place. I don't do chinuch, education. I don't deal with kids going off the derech. I really work with what we call, like, I call it stage four. When everyone gives up, when we tried all the regular things, it's not working. When you're dealing with pikuach nefesh situations, not only do regular things often not work, they often make things worse. So I apologize in advance if what I sound, what I say sounds extreme, and I hope that you'll forgive my passion. Fifteen years ago, when I jumped into this somehow, it's a whole story why, I didn't have a son or a brother, I just, Mamash Hashem sent me this idea, and no training. At that time, Kali Yisrael started having this off the derech thing. People started getting involved. And since then, it turned into Mamish an epidemic. Pandemic. Ein bias, ein mishpacha, asha ein sham, meis. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when we grew up, there was no such thing. A kid should do drugs. A Jewish kid should do drugs. A kid should go off the derech. A, a, a yid should be in a psych ward. It was very unheard of 40 years ago. And now, now this is something we all hear. Psych wards are full of Jewish kids. In the whole America, every psych ward, you'll find Jewish kids in psych wards. Tremendous amount of pain. Tremendous amount of kids going off the derech. Unheard of when we grew up. Things are changing at a rapid pace. There were always Yechidim, like Ramesha, like so many people, Yechidim that, that rose to the challenge in Chabad as well. Many Yechidim that rose to the challenge of helping people with a, a bigger heart maybe, in the Sirius Nefesh, a different understanding, a different way to look at the broken broken child. There were Rabbanim, like you have here, who had a different understanding. That's Sometimes things have to be different in certain situations. But Rabbi say, there's no way for Yechidim, there's no way for Yechidim to be able to help this problem. It's, it's like a massive, a massive attack on an entire city with a couple of triage, a couple of doctors putting together, doing operations. It's impossible. We need an army. We need an army of thousands of trained men and women who are expertly trained, and it's in their kishkis, in their DNA, five points. One, that these people really truly believe that every single yid is a chelik alakami mal mamish. That every yid is be'etzen betnimi yisnafshay is good. And that we may never give up on any yid in regardless of any situation that they're in right now. A lot of people don't know this. Now he's a drug addict. Now he's a Mechal Shabbos. Tax deduction. Write-off. There are certain people who are trained. The Pneumius Nafshay of the people that in this person, regardless of their situation, we're not going to give up on you. Four, that we are ready to be Moise Nefesh ourselves and our families to save any Jew anywhere at all costs. And five, and that this important mission 
comes even before our own Ruchnius. And we don't have time and resources to start training people to feel this way, to start ingraining these concepts into new people. And I was just so bothered. Where on earth are we going to find thousands of people who have this belief system? And then it hit me. Chabad. It's you. You have all been trained for the past 50, 60 years for this task that is before Klal Yisrael, that we need you right now. My River Rabbi say we have kids from from homes who are scattered all over the world in rehabs and psych wards, in boot camps, running away from home, in the streets, in the parks, at the lakes, walking around India, walking around different parts of the world trying to find themselves because they're so lost. The scattered Al-Abra Kanfai Sa'aretz. Who is going to save all of Klali Yisrael's from kids who end up that way? There's one organization that is literally everywhere. And Klali Yisrael is relying on your infrastructure. And you must make sure that wherever a youth finds himself, in any matzav that he or she is in, that you, dear Shluchim, will find them and save them. And this is a very difficult job. And it's very difficult than the Kirov that you're used to. You know, people say that saving our kids is called Kirov Kravim. But I think they're much further away than the Rechaikim. It's Kirov of the Harbe Yaisi Rechaikim Mikala Rechaikim Shabaylam. Why? You can go over to a kid who grew up not from and you could say, here, shake this. Shakes this. He says, oh, that was fun. Doesn't hurt. I have no trauma. No, doesn't, no PTSD happening here with this Lulu. That's fun. No negative association. Hey, come over to my house. We're going to have a beautiful Shabbat meal. And he comes over and he says, wow, Shabbat is great. We only have this once a year, Thanksgiving. You guys have this every week with your families. It's beautiful. I'll tell you a story. I had, when I opened Home Sweet Home, so after, they would be in, a, in this house, it was five minutes away from my house, and then Shabbos, the home was closed, they came to me for Shabbos. And the first few weeks, they would come to me, trying to get them housebroken. And my kids, like my son Svi, who grew up with this craziness. And in the first few weeks, Shabbos at the table, these kids who were from the streets, mamish, would, would say things that we don't say anywhere, let alone a Shabbos table, would act totally inappropriate. They would go out, you know, uh, after the challah, they would go out for a walk, and after the fish, they would go out for a walk, and after the soup, they would go out for a walk, and after, and my kids grew up from four to twenty, you know, and at seven, eight, nine years old, they would say, why do they walk so much in the middle of the meal? I said, well, they're very health conscious. (laughs) And eventually they would open up the the window, and they would see outside, Tati, he's smoking. Yeah. Yeah, he's smoking. And we're going to make them from. And we did. But these kids, they all have negative associations with the Yiddishkeit. So after a couple of weeks of coming to me without getting any pushback, so I would start sending them to friends. And I had a friend of mine, a very chosh of a and he lives a block and a half away from me. I would send them close by in case there was a, some kind of a thing. And this guy didn't tell me. He is in Kirov. And he's working on a boy from Atlanta, Georgia, for two years. Two years. And after two years, since he got him on a college campus in Bashert and through one of these programs, 
he's coming to this guy for Shabbos, for Shabbat. First time. And this Chacham, it's perfect. I have a Balchuva coming for the for potential Balchuva that's coming after two years of learning on the phone. And Avi's sending me one of his guys from home sweet home. What could be better? Double, double the income, right? One, one expense, double the income. It's going to be great. So he's sitting there with this guy who's like, it's amazing. Shabbat. Candles. He's watching the mother light the candles. He says, this is spiritual. This is, I never seen anything like this before. And, and Moishi from Monroe is like, you know, all right. And they're sitting there by the soup. And this guy is sitting here, and my the host is sitting here, and the whole family, big, beautiful dining room, full of people. And, and, and Moishi is there, and, he's, and, and he says, Shabbat is just amazing. And Moishi says, Shabbat, beep! <laughs> and my friend was eating the soup. He goes, <laughs> all over the place. Like, what? What, what, are you do, what are you saying? Shabbat is the worst day. This is Shabbat. This is stupid. You know how bored I am? I sit in my room watching movies. I can't go outside. I can't smoke. I can't this. I can't carry. This is stupid. This is ridiculous. You have to sit and you have to this. Okay, there goes uh, one year of the cure of work. <laughs> there's still hope. There's still hope. Another half an hour passes by after the main dish. The guy looks up and he sees a picture of, I don't want to say which Rosh Hashiva was, very holy. And he says, that's your rabbi? Wow. This rabbi is so holy. This guy goes, eh, all rabbis are molesters. There goes the other year. Kira v'chaikim is easy. That's a walk in the park. You're going to go sell something to somebody that never had a negative, a negative interaction with it. That thinks that, wow, this is a beautiful life. It is a beautiful life, right? Totally different than going to someone who's tzibrachin, who went through the system, who was thrown out of ten schools, who many times shouldn't have gotten treated the way he got treated and saw things that he shouldn't have seen and all kinds of bad stuff. So I don't call this kir of kreivim. I call this hatzalas nidachim. Hatzalas nidachim, we have to save those that are cast away. They're cast away from society. They're cast away from their families, and they feel, worst of all, cast away from Hashem. And as you all know very well, the Baal Shem Tev taught, a central part of Yiddishkeit is that it's the Ratzin Hashem Lebal Yidach Mimenu Nidach. That the, the Yidach, Lebal Nidach Mimenu Hu, the Yidach. Lebal Yidach Mimenu Nidach. I wanted to be Ma'er, it should say Lebal Nidach Mimenu Yisrael. The Yehudi shouldn't be pushed away. Why do we call Lebal Yidach Mimenu Nidach? And the answer is that sometimes we could push away somebody a little bit. Healthy people are walking together. I was upstairs, and the guy pushed me here, and the guy pushed me here, and the coffee goes this way, and that, that's fine. But somebody who has broken arms, you can't even touch him. The person who feels like a nidach, who feels already cast away, we have to be so careful. With one look in your eyes, you can push him away because he's so broken. They're so sensitive, and they feel so cast away and when you deal with a nidach, it's different than when you deal with a regular kid or a regular anybody, a healthy person. You can make a joke at their expense, all kinds of different things, but not with a, a person who's walking with crutches and he's shaking, and you're going to go over and go, hey, how you doing? With your arm around him like that, you're going to break his arm. We have kids who, who crush, break, 
because they go to a simcha and the guy comes over with a big smile. Hey, oh, whoa, that's an interesting haircut. Chacham, l'bal yidach mimenu nidach. You see someone who's not happy, thriving, successful. You have to look that this person feels different, feels cast away, and you can't do the same joke that you would. It's like ah, your mother's earring. You liked it. Wow, brings out your feminine side. Can't do that. That's not going to help them. It's not going to make them like us. It's going to be another story. Like a kid told me, he's already 30, that he went to a simcha and he had one of those brilliant uncles who went over to him to tell him how it's not too late to do tshuva, the Ebishter wants you, come back to Rick, this is not the way to dress, it's not the way to come. Shane, you know, it's like good stuff, yeah? And he left and he got drunk and he almost killed himself. And this is a kid who tried to murder himself five times already, who this person coming over doesn't know one thing, not one thing about his pain, but he knows how to fix him. What you need to do is start using the tools and the training that the Rebbe instilled into you to deal with Kirov Rechaikim and to use this training and this passion in this new field of Atzalas Nidachim, or as Avremel taught us a long time ago, no Jew will be left behind. And I'm referring to two categories, where I see that there are weakness in Chabad. I'm not here to criticize. I would never be one against such a big room of people. I'm not stupid. <laughs> two categories. Number one is to learn how to apply your training the training that is in your DNA that you will die for, and to apply that training to your own children who are struggling, despite your own pain and embarrassment, because that's the Nisayan. You know what to do with the Adam's kin. But when it's your own kin, your own kid, all of a sudden the whole training, out the door. Like you all know the story with the cat and the mouse, right? With the <coughs> What happened to all the years? What happened to all the years of training? And every yid is good. All of a sudden, your own child does something or is struggling in a bad way, and you throw him out, you cast him away, can't look at you. So the first step I want to talk about is the shluchim and the chasidim of Chabad, along with the rest of the world, is applying what you already know to your own children. And the second part is to apply your training to reach not only Jews who were not from, who were born not from, but also to the Yiddish HaKindalach who went off the derech, despite the Nisayin, what's the Nisayin for them? The feeling that you have that they should know better. And despite that they come across many times as lahachis, angry, rebellious, and antagonistic. It's a different feeling. You can go out into the middle of who knows where, and you open up your little sign, and people are coming in for drinks. There's no negative feelings. All of a sudden, this kid comes in, and he's looking at you, and he hates you, and he's anti-you, and you have to use the training in spite of those feelings that they're giving over to you and that you feel towards them. I know his father. I went to Yeshiva with his Zayda. He went to our system. How could you talk like that? It's not going to help you. So I'm going to read to you a letter that the Rebbe wrote to us. He wrote it in 1964. I guess the the postman is a little delayed. (laughs) And as I read the letter from the Rebbe, I'm sure you will know it. I want you to think about how this applies to Atzalas Nidochim. 
it applies Avada to Kirvur And I want you to think about it and as you listen to his holy and passionate words, as he pours out his heart, literally begging people, begging people to care about the lost Yidden in America, who will be lost forever, and all the diaries if we don't make an effort to get them back. Please keep in mind how this applies to our own Yiddish Kindalach, kids who grew up in full families, who are a lot farther away than what the Rebbe was talking about. I know, I know that some of you feel that the Rebbe writes to you and speaks to you and talks to you, and uh, last week the Rebbe spoke to me because I got a lot of stuff from people out of the blue. And last week, I got this letter sent to me. And I said, wow, he really does write. It's not a joke. I mamas feel like the Rebbe sent this letter, because you need to hear this. The house is on fire, and our children are inside. One, I'm taking, I took out some parts that are not Negea, but I didn't change the words too much. There may be valid differences of opinion among men as to what activity or interest in the daily life should have a priority over others. But this may be justified only in normal circumstances. When an emergency arises, however, all theoretical differences must be put aside in order to deal with the emergency. To illustrate my point, it is one thing to debate what type of house, if it caught on fire, is worth saving. Or by what method? Or by whom? It is quite another thing when one is actually facing a burning house with people trapped therein, old ones, younger ones, and children. At such a time, there could be no differences of opinion as to the imperative need to fight the blaze and save and save the trapped ones. This is the duty of everyone who is nearby, even if he is not a trained firefighter, and even if those trapped inside the burning house are strangers. The obligation is immeasurably greater, of course, if those inside are one's own relatives, and especially if one has had experience and has been successful in fire-extinguishing activity. Where a doubt exists as to what is good for an individual, or a group, or a nation, it is sometimes quite illuminating to consider what the enemy desires, especially if the enemy has shown persistent effort to attain his end, for then it would be clear that the opposite of what the enemy desires is good for that individual group or nation. That's the second point. You want to know what's good for us? Look at the enemy and do the opposite of what he wants, said the Rebbe. In our generation, we have seen with our very eyes what the arch enemy of our people, Hitler and his followers, desired, plotted, and unfortunately succeeded to a considerable degree in regard to our people. He made no secret of his fiendish plan. He avowed intention, his avowed intention was to exterminate the Jewish people and above all, to eradicate the Jewish spirit. Therefore, his first victims were Jewish books and synagogues, spiritual leaders and rabbis. There are several methods whereby our enemies hope to attain our annihilation, God forbid. To Hitler's twisted mind, the obvious method was simply to send Jewish men, women and children to the gas chambers in the crematoria. But the method of spiritual cremation, involving not the Jewish body, but the Jewish soul, is just as devastating. The crematoria where Jewish bodies were incinerated are a thing of the unforgettable, horrible past, thanks to the grace of the Almighty. These butchers were stopped before their work of destruction reached its goal. But the spiritual crematoria where Jewish souls are being consumed are to our great distress still ablaze and more fierce 
than ever. The house of Israel is on fire, may God have mercy, and the generation, as things stand now, is largely trapped. You are surely not aware of the dry statistics of intermarriage and assimilation in this country, and we will now add overdose and suicide. And the situation is similar in other countries. The subject is too painful to contemplate, and much more so to write about at length. In a sense, the danger of spiritual crematoria is graver than that of physical genocide, for the heinousness of the latter, physical genocide, can be understood without too much philosophical inquiry. Nobody debates that. While for the spiritual extermination, there are certain groups which do not recognize this as a calamity, and certain groups even champion it in the name of freedom, equality, integration, and other misconceived ideals. In light of the above preface, let us, you and I, consider our position. Surely in the face of the situation as it exists now, and is deteriorating, all debates and philosophical speculation must be set aside. The existing emergency demands immediate action to save Jewish souls. This is the primary obligation of each and every one of us who desires to counteract the Hitler objective. This obligation is particularly imperative in regard to one's immediate environment where one has been raised. Listen carefully. Surely the daily newspapers cannot delude one into thinking that all is well and normal. The reports on juvenile delinquency and crime, the promiscuity among college students, the rising tide of intermarriage and assimilation, etc., surely must be a constant challenge to the decent and right-thinking young man and should sting him into doing something practical rather than engaging in some abstract topics or in some research, which is, as we all will agree, could at any rate wait for a while, whereas the boy or girl in the college cannot be left to wait, and unless helped and guided immediately might soon be swept away and irretrievably lost, God forbid, by the tide of intermarriage and assimilation. I want to update that last paragraph to focus on how these holy words are so prevalent to my message to you today. Let's rewind. Surely the daily newspapers cannot delude you into thinking that all is well and normal. The reports on our Kindalach, who grew up in from Erlecha homes, who have fallen to a state of juvenile delinquency and crime, the promiscuity of our ex-Yeshiva students and Beis Yaakov Medlach, even students who were taught in this building, the rising tide of intermarriage, assimilation, the rising tide of drug overdoses and suicides from Yidin who grew up in from homes. Rabbi Isai, last year alone, Tavshin Ayin Zayin, over 200 Erlicha parents buried their children. Under 35 only, only in America. 47 suicides and the rest deaths of drug overdoses. Unzeri Yiddish Kindalach. We have a mathematician here. Thank you. It's getting worse. How many more tried to kill themselves but didn't die? You could tell me. Hundreds. There's no number. There's no number. How many more that tried but we don't even know about it? A boy told me that one night his pain was so great that he took all of his pills, all of his medication, he drank all of it, and he lied down in his bed. Goodbye, world. By some miracle, 
He woke up the next morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. He got up. said, uh, felt pretty good. So I took a shower and went to work. How many people want to die in our generation that end up not so lucky like this guy? And he himself ended up in the psych ward five times where he wasn't so lucky for some reason. We don't know why those pills didn't take. How many don't want to die but are so far away from this chiyos of life and enjoying life. In the last week, I deal with parents who have problem with kids. And in the last week, three people reached out to me with email and WhatsApp. Nothing to do with my business. Dear Avi, I don't want to tell you who I am, but I'm married and I have X amount of kids and I'm 35 or 40 or 42 or 32. Three people. Two of them, if I told you who their grandfathers were, you would jump from your seats. Two of them. But within three days. And they're married, and they're from, everything, right? I want to kill myself. I want to die. I have overwhelming feelings of I need to kill myself. Overwhelming. And I'm not going to go into the problem of each one, but one of them I spoke to for a few hours on the phone from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Through, through WhatsApp, through voice notes. And the other one was a guy who reached out to me. He said, you must, you're the only person that could save me. I must speak to you. What am I going to say? No. So a guy comes, he's sitting in my office Friday afternoon from 1 till about 3. His grandfather is, I mean, it's, it's not even, and he just wants, he has 15 years of OCD and anxiety and going from therapist to therapist. And he's from the lucky ones who are married, stable home, and he just wants to die. And he's suffering and suffering and suffering and suffering. How much pain and suffering? The Rebbe continues, Surely this must be a constant challenge to the decent and right-thinking young man and should, should sting him into doing something practical rather than engaging in some abstract topics or in some research, which, as we all agree, could at any rate wait for a while, whereas the, whereas the boy or girl on the street, in the parks, in the rehabs, and in the psych wards cannot be left to wait, and unless helped and guided immediately, might be soon swept away and irretrievably lost, God forbid, by the tide of death and destruction. Says the Rebbe, point three. Chabad exemplifies the right approach. And this will answer one of your questions, namely, what does Chabad aim at? One of the basic tenets of Chabad is Ahavas Hashem, that Ahavas Hashem, namely unity with God, who is not only the creator of mankind, but also the creator of the universe, is synonymous with Ahavas Yisrael. And the Havas Yisrael is not necessarily expressed in an attempt to save the whole Jewish people, but in helping even a single individual. Remember, he who saves one soul is deemed to have saved a whole world, our sages declared. Indeed, the founder of Chabad himself showed an example of it when a poor woman gave birth at the far end of town. Rib Shneir Zalman, we are told, took off his talus and tefillin and went to her dingy hut to light the fire and prepare some food for her. The Alter Rebbe saw no contradiction in interrupting his prayer to God, parenthetically, and be it remembered that the prayer, even of an ordinary ordinary Jew, if it is sincere and wholehearted, achieves unity with the Creator of all. Creator of all, in order to help a woman in need. On the contrary, such help is the best expression of being attached to God. The Rebbe continues. How can you, 
and I say this with all due respect to you, and dear Shluchim, I say this with all due respect and admiration to all of you, how can you sit idly by, surrounded by thousands upon thousands of fellow Jews who are starving for guidance and direction towards the right path in life, the path of Tyra, Chaim? Can you turn a deaf ear towards the cries of Jewish children who, if denied immediate help, may be consigned to a spiritual crematorium, God forbid? Surely you should wish to dedicate all your energies and capacities to this life-saving work. It is my prayerful hope, says the Rebbe, that from now on at least you will open your eyes and hearts to what I have said and written to you. That you will, without further procrastination, fully utilize the gifts and capacities which divine providence has bestowed upon you. He must have been writing to somebody like you, with talent, who he believed in. In helping to guide Jewish children and adolescents towards the path of Torah and Mitzvahs, to help save them from the clutches of complete assimilation, and we can add, physical, psychiatric, emotional, and spiritual death, Rahman al-Islam, Ad Khan Divrei Rabbeinu. Chabad Shluchim. This is why I stand before you today. You are the hope of Klal Yisrael. The eyes of all of Klal Yisrael are on you. I would have thought in all the communities there would be kids who are thrown out of home, kids who are rejected because they don't fit in, but that everybody would know, not the kids of Chabad, Chabad, the kids who struggle, enveloped in warmth, understanding, without pressure, without... I would have thought you go to Monroe, and you go to Lakewood, and you go to Flatbush, and you go to Queens, kids are on the street, and they're in the parks, and they're not wanted, and they feel like they want to die, and they're sent out to boot camps, and to rehabs, and to psych wards, just, just Abi. Not in Chabad. I wouldn't have expected to get phone calls from Tzadikim like this. This family is throwing out their kid, and this family is throwing out their kid, and they don't understand the kid, and they're telling the kid that I don't care what you've been through. You have to conform to the house of the Wazarais. Chabad is not treating their kids and the problems the way that I would have imagined based on all of the training that you had about what a neshama is. How many Chabad Shluchim are there that have a child, that dropped out of Yiddishkeit, and instead of using all of their training to be makar of their own child, they reject the child and throw them out or make them feel so uncomfortable that they choose to just be somewhere else. Kids will be comfortable. If you make them comfortable, they will be home. There's no place like home. There's no food like mama's cooking. They're only not home because you don't let them be comfortable in their state, temporary state of dysfunction. The same chassid that would move to Siberia and eat bark off of trees for 40 years because the Rebbe said that maybe you'll find a Jew by accident who's a half-Jew and with one leg and one tooth and maybe you're going to go ahead, you're going to go and hug him and accept him the way he is with all the problems and all the abikarses uh, and you'll be such a success no matter how far bisin, no matter how messed up, you can curse God after the Holocaust. They would even curse God didn't the Rebbe give an aliyah in shul to a Mechal Shabbos Befehesia? Didn't your Rebbe do that? And, and people would curse God. Nothing doesn't matter what the wall is between me and the neshama. That's what we're here for. And they would use incredible tools of patience and love and that same Chabatzker, the same training, with the same training from your Rebbe, will allow this neshama to leave the shelter of his home. Pilei Pilei. 
you do anything to run after a neshama, and he's in your house, the account is in your house, right? And you let him leave? To where? To what? So five years later, some other Chabatsky is going to find him in India and say, wow, I just did great Kirov. This kid, you know, I went to Yeshiva with his father. And he's going to look at him with such love five years later, eating treif, and the guy's not going to have any problem. He's not going to reject him because that's his training. Maybe he'll find the right guy. He's in your house now. Why are you, why are you sending him out that maybe somebody will find him? And of course we understand why you black out. It's the pain. The pain of the parents that causes you to make this mistake. But it's still a mistake. And the parents who are getting hit with this terrible Nisayan need to remain steadfast and strong in the face of such terrible pain, frustration, and embarrassment. And these parents make, need to make a hachlata. That's what you guys call it, right? We will not lose any neshama under any circumstances. We will not let a Jew slip out of our grasp. We will never follow advice that results in the fact that our children will end up feeling rejected. And we will follow with Mesiris Nefesh all of the teachings that the Rebbe taught us, even in the face of such a great Messiah. Where do you go for help? To a therapist. Where does the therapist get the training from? The professor. Where does the professor know what to do? From the Rebbe? Everybody's running to therapy. I'm not anti-therapist. Therapists are fantastic to help you deal with your own problems. When it comes to the sugya of how to deal with a troubled soul, you go to a therapist and you go to a doctor. You tell the doctor, my son has 101 fever. A month later, my son has 102 fever. A month later, my son has 103 fever. You keep going to the same doctor? The therapist, even the from therapists, are following a prescription of rechuk. Rules, consequences, and boundaries. Because it's made for the Goyim, for their children. I don't know if it works or not. I don't care. That's not my job. But it doesn't work on our kids. And you go ahead and you mafkir everything the Rebbe taught you. All your DNA. All the blood that runs through your veins. Because you paid a copay of $15 to a nice person, an Ehrlicha person who's teaching you what a guy taught people how to deal with a rebellious child. Up in smoke. The therapist said that if you're not home by 12 o'clock, we lock the door. Therapist said, if you might use money, might, for something that we don't approve of, you're cut off. And then, if it works, Gavaldic, I, I, I am not pro or anti anything. If it works, it's good. If it doesn't work, you go back to the same person for advice until it comes to a massive where they tell, you call up, what do I do now? I can't help you. Call 911. Call, call Mashafeg. Call, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I'm following you for, for four months over here. I'm following you, and every time you tell me to lock the kid out, I don't, what do they think? I want to hear the story. I want to hear the story. The kid said, F you, drop dead. Sorry, I'm talking like this. If you can't handle it, you're in the wrong room. With Shem Malchus. F you, drop dead. And you say, yeah? You're not going to talk to me like this. Get out. And you know what happened? The next day, he knocked on the door. I'm sorry. I'm better now. And he got better. I want to meet the case. I want to meet the success of the method. I want to see what happened. I want to meet that kid. You ever meet that kid? Anybody here ever meet that kid? The kids want to die? Who that people did that? Oh, you want to try it? I don't mind. But don't do it forever. I want to meet the kid. If you're not home by 12 o'clock, we lock the door. 
lock the door, it's freezing outside. They're outside on a park bench. The next day they come in. <laughs> Please let me back in. I'm so cold. And from then on, they're a good boy. I want to meet the kid. I want to meet the kid who told me, from the millions of drug addicts since Brita Salem, I want to meet the kid who says like this. I got thrown out of yeshiva, and so I went on the street and I got some drugs, right? So I took money from my parents and I was buying drugs. And then I got more money from my parents. I got more drugs. And then I was doing so much drugs. And then my parents went to somebody for help. And they gave amazing advice to them. And they said, we're not giving you any more money. So I had no more money. So I stopped doing drugs. And I'm clean now. Six days and 12 hours and 42 years. Because otherwise, you know, they would, and all my friends, they're still doing drugs. So their parents enable them. The parents give them money. Of course they're going to do drugs. Me, I stopped cocaine. I didn't do drugs anymore because I had no money. I want to meet the kid who I go to him in the park on a Friday night while he's having a cigarette. And I say, where's your iPhone? Where's your cell phone? And he says, why not? Because my parents don't give me money. (laughs) Go outside. They are so enabled. They have their drugs, their money, their phones, their everything that they need. If you don't give it to them, they're getting it from somebody else. But what do you lose? The whole only thing that can bring them back to life and to Yiddishkeit, the relationship. And you lose it over what? And then when the parents become weak from the pain of the test, the family needs to give them chizuk to stay strong and not let any neshama slip away from them. So how can we have families in Chabad who tell me that they're being pressured by their parents and by their brothers and sisters and all other people around them to throw their kids out on the street if they don't conform? The parents have a lot of out of pain, personal pain from the pressure and embarrassment. What's your excuse, uncle, son-in-law, to tell somebody, lose your child? Where's your Nisayan? Doesn't that go against the very basics that your Rebbe taught you? How come many of the extended families have abandoned these kids after they were thrown out? Why aren't you chasing them down? Okay, he's in Idaho. He's in whatever. You're an uncle. You're a cousin. You grew up. You're a friend. You're in the same class. Why do you let them go? Let's say the parents had to, let's say, or they made a mistake. Why do you abandon them? What are you thinking? You have his number. It's your Achrayis. I can't call him. I don't know his number. He's in your Rolodex. In your contact list. You let him go? Slip away? Dead to the world? What's going on? Imagine if every single person that this kid knows, big families and principals of the schools and the other kids in the class, he knows 200 of you. Imagine if everybody would continue calling the kid, regardless if you could help or not. I care about you. What's doing? Are you hungry? What's happening? How could anybody from Chabad with all your training and your DNA, ever reject a Yiddish child, how could a Chabatsker ever give up on a Yiddish kind? I can't figure it out. One of my first Chabad families came to me eight years ago for help. Their daughter, Nebuchadnezzar, was off the derech, and she didn't agree to dress Tzniyistik in the house. And they told her, if you can't conform to the rules of Tzniyist, the rules of the house, you can't live here anymore. So she moved out, she ended up living with a guy. Who gave them this insane concept that if you can't be good right now, today, 
And you can't conform to our standards, which usually comes because of pain. They usually have good reasons. That we will push you away, even if they have bad reasons. I don't care. Right now, you can't conform. Who gave them this insane idea? That we will push you out of our home, even though we know that it will only cause you to get worse. Why are we doing things that make them worse? Abi, Abi, we just, we have to do something. Somebody told me, are you going to do nothing? Do you know how hard it is to do nothing? Do you know how much you're doing when you do nothing if the other choice is to do kares? You know how much, how much it takes of growth of parents to do nothing? And that's not what we do, but halavai, just do nothing. Yeah, do nothing. You're doing nothing? No, I'm not doing kares. I'm not throwing away. I'm not losing a child. I'm not giving up on a Yiddish kind. Is that called nothing? I'm keeping a kesha with someone. So when they're healthier, I'll be able to go visit them and I'll be able to one day have a kesha with them, keep them alive. It's nothing. When the other choice is kares, you choose kares because it's called doing something. Okay. So the irony of was for this family who threw out their daughter was that they're into Kiruv, right? So they have every Shabbos between 8 and 16 girls at their Shabbos table who dress a lot worse than their daughter was. But that's Kiruv. So that we have to do. And their daughter, they threw out of the house. And yes, there's there's that taina that we have. Well, she should know better. But it doesn't change the fact that there's a way that you can win her back and there's a way that you can't win her back, as you all know. Yesterday, the Rebbe said, in Dvar Malchus, told us, Tavshin Ayin Ches, Madu'a Ratzah Yitzchak Levarichas Esav Benoi, Him Layadas Rishusei Hagdoila, yesterday. Why? He's talking about their own son, right? Why did Yitzchak want to bench his son Esav? He didn't know how bad he was. Avoidas Yitzchak Hoysilagalis, Shagam Bimokoim, Shinira Reik, Mikdushasi Shalakadish Baruchu, Hine Al Yedecha Firo Boemek. I skipped out the middle, but you understand it. Megalim Shkam Shom Nitzaytse Akdusha. Valpiza Yuvon, Zeshebeirach as Esav. We can understand why he wanted to bench Esav. Mishum. Shabbatitzaynis <laughs> My experience from parents who have come to me and from their Rabbanim is that we're not doing a good enough job for the Hatzalus Nidachim situation. We have a lot of sayings you can't enable is a saying. What about my other kids? We'll, we'll answer it, but it's a concept. We have to stop saying things that sound smart but don't work, and we have to start doing things that will, as Hashem, give us the results that we want. And yes, there's a learning curve to take on a new mission, because you can't be Makarava from kids by mentioning anything about Yiddishkeit because it pushes them away, so it's very hard. Your training is, you go over to someone, put on tillin, shake a lulav, but with our kids, it's not going to lead them back because they know all of that. They're just farbis and they're bitter. Something happened to them and turned them off. 
many times child abuse, trauma, learning disabilities, other bad stuff. But everybody who's dealing with the kids on the street knows that by the time they got there and we tried everything normal, that means that there's something mamish bothering them. They're in pain, which is why I call them kips, kids in pain. And once they're in that matzah, the delicious taira, to them it tastes bitter. So the trick is not at that point to offer them something that they feel tastes bitter. Because they shouldn't take it then. It's going to prolong the bitterness. They're going to say, oh, let me try this. Yeah, it's horrible. It's not going to work. The trick is to heal their bitter taste buds so then they'll enjoy the delicious tire just like you do. The Slana Merebbe and the Siva Shalom who by the way was a Rosh Hashiva in Lubavitch says Aziz Farit They couldn't drink the water in Mara Kimaram Heim because the water was bitter. Says the Rebbe and the Siva Shalom the people were bitter. Tyre is delicious. A kid who doesn't think that Tyre is delicious, the trick is not to tell him, come, let's learn Tanya. He knows it by heart. The trick is not to tell him, come, put on Tulin. It makes him feel terrible. I worked with a kid who was molested around the time of his bar mitzvah when he started putting on Tulin. And the smell of Tulin triggers triggers his trauma. So by the, by the time I met him at 17 years old, he was already in Gansen, off. Terrible story. But on the way, between 13 and 17, he was in yeshivas, and he got thrown off, and he tells me, I was in yeshiva. Do you know what 300 pair of tefillin smells like? No, I don't know what it smells like. Like, I don't know, tefillin. How much pain he had? Is he chayiv in tefillin? David wants him to put on tefillin now? He can't. Push it like that. How are you going to get him to love tefillin? By telling him to put on tefillin, it's not going to work. Baruch Hashem, he moved into home sweet home. After several months, he was healthy. Mamish, Nisim in a place. And he said, okay, Sunday I'm putting on tefillin. Gave himself a few days. David was chayin and das. And Mamish, siyat the shmaya, matzah Shabbos. I went ahead and I, by besamim, I had an idea. I took my besamim and I filled it into a, a mesh bag and I put it into his tefillin bag. I didn't tell him. And the whole night he was sittering for him. It's a trauma. He was severely traumatized by his bar mitzvah time. And the next morning when he opened up the tefillin zakel, the whole room smelled of besamim. And he was able to put on tefillin he puts on since that day. One year later to the day, he went back to the yeshiva that he was thrown out of two years before, and we made a graduation one year to the day, and he went back to, to sit and learn yeshiva. The yeshiva said that he's out of yeshiva ready for a couple of years, so I said, good, so he'll sit him next to you, and he did, and he had a seat next to the yeshiva. And there was no, there was no kiruv. I didn't have shachras, minchamarev, there was no davening, there was nothing Yiddish in home sweet home. It was about, I like you. I believe in you. I trust you. You can't do it. I get it. No pressure. Not pushing. When they're healthy, they'll do it. When they're not healthy, and you ask them to do something, you're just prolonging the, the fabison of brokenness. And you're making more... There goes another year. Another year that he's not going to come to Shabbos meal because you told him it's super important to wear this. Stop telling people what to do. That's not what we do. 
a guy who grew up reform, and you tell him, can you put this by the Shabbos table? It doesn't hurt him. He's like, oh, yeah, sure, why not? But it hurts him. He knows what a yarmulke is. Don't ask him, why don't you? How about you? Maybe you should. It doesn't work. And it makes them further away. They need to know that you love them, that you accept them the way that they are, that you trust them, and that you believe that they're not bad. If you see somebody doing something terrible, and you know that this person is good, then you right away trust them. I know that there's a reason why this is happening. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. I trust you. And therefore, if they're not bad, and they're doing something bad, it must be that they have a reason. You understand that you don't, you don't need to understand. You don't need to become a genius. We must never look down at them. We have to be mechabed them, and deal with them with honor, with respect. We have to stop asking Narasha questions. How come they need to do this? Why are they doing this? What does this haircut do for you? Why did you have to get a tattoo? What does it mean? Why are you dressing so strange? You feel good when you shave half your head. Making your hair blue makes you feel better. We have to stop asking Narasha questions and just use your tools that you know work so well. By the way, these examples that I'm giving you all happened in, in here, in your place. Not everybody. But these are true stories. And you know that even the angriest, most bitter atheist can be won over with your varmkeit and love. Chabad is not about armchair philosophy. Chabad is about taking action. Chabad is not about wondering why something is broken. Chabad is about fixing it. In the time that some people spend five years having a vikuach, well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we could have already been makarev thousands of kids of these lost souls back to Hashem. We have to stop thinking and start doing, and we have to close our minds and open our hearts. As the Rebbe said, to be kind is more important than to be right. Many times, the Rebbe said, what people need is not a brilliant mind that speaks, but a special heart that listens. And what did the Rebbe teach you? What's the first way to reach out to somebody is by doing a toiva to him, the Gashmis. And usually right away, you start the Ruchnis, but they're so broken, you can't go right away. Stick with that. Stick with doing a toiva the Gashmis. Show them that I accept you. I don't have an attitude against you. If they're not behaving properly, then pointing it out will never bring them back. And please remember that criticism and rejection are not words in the Lubavitcher Dictionary. They're concepts that were introduced to Klal Yisrael to kill us. Questions later? Ramesha Feller, a Chabad Shliach in Minnesota, was asked to write an article to a newspaper to explain what Tyra does to a person. And he wrote, when a person faints and loses his conscience, they say that you need to come close to his ear and scream his name in order for him to help. In the same way, when a person is far away from Yiddishkeit, you need to scream his name and tell him, you are a Jew. Rabbi Feller sent the article to the Rebbe in order to get his opinion, correction, and proofs. The Rebbe read it and corrected just one word. He underlined, ye- underlined yell, and he wrote above it, whisper. Don't yell at the person. Whisper. How do you wake up a person from religious fainting? How do you approach somebody who is disconnected? Don't scream at him and tell him you are wrong. Don't roar your opinions, but whisper, because you entered a delicate place, his neshama, his soul. Don't be brutal in your approach, but do it with love, with caring, and peacefully. 
Again and, and again, the Rebbe taught you in every sikh and every maimer, you open up wherever you open up. That the only way to help save our youth is only through acceptance, positivity, varmkeit, and kirav levavos. And the Rebbe specifically taught us that if you treat someone negatively and you use the tire as an excuse, there is always the doubt that perhaps you made a mistake in your assessment of the situation or that personal factors were involved, especially when we're dealing with a family member. You could be motivated by shame, by pain, by gaiva. There was a Talmud of yours or someone in your yeshiva. But the Rebbe said, whereas if you do a favor for a fellow Jew, it's off your shoulders and you have nothing to worry about. You certainly performed an act of Ahavas Yisrael brotherly love, and you fulfilled the commandment of Ahavtul Riyacha Kamoicha, which is also a vehicle to attain Ahavas Hashem. What is Ahavas Yisrael? Does it really mean to love every single Yid? Are we supposed to love even a Jew who sins? Can love itself without Musa, rules, consequences, and boundaries influence a sinner to change his ways? If we show them love without asking them, to change, without fathering for them that they must change, and they must conform, won't they just feel comfortable the way they are and never change? These are the questions that the Rebbe asked, the Friya Dikar Rebbe. And he said, I am nice to everyone who comes to the Merkaz, even those that are lacking in proper level of Yiddishkeit. And perhaps if I show them acceptance, said the Rebbe, they will think that they're okay the way they are, and they'll never change. So many people say, what do you mean? You're just going to show them they're okay? You're going to buy them their jeans? You're going to buy into them? You're going to show them we accept you? As if as if you're okay? Why would they ever change? If we make them comfortable, why are they ever going to become better? It's a good question. That was the Rebbe's question. And the Friya Digger Rebbe told him. He said that when a child is born, the parents, their hearts have 100% love for this child. Bursting with love. So what happens when another child is born? They wish to give them more love. They have 100% love for another child. And then another child, and then another child. The Ebishti gives you a have a full love for every single kid that you get. So what happens if a child is sick? Suddenly the Ebishti gives you more love. There's more love that parents have created by Hashem that's inserted into a parent when their child is sick. Child is, has a broken leg. Child has a machla. The love and the dedication of the parents is unbelievable. You thought, they can't love anymore. Oh yes, they can. Said the Friya Dikar Rebbe, when you see a Yid who doesn't put on tefillin, you should look at him like his hand is broken. If he doesn't go to shul, he doesn't daven properly, you should look at him like his legs are broken. The worse that a Yid behaves, the more love and compassion you need to shower on him. What would the Rebbe say today? Look at these kids. Look what's happening around us. Where did the, the Friya Dikar Rebbe get this hadracha from? From the Alter Rebbe. Says in Tanya Paraklaman Days, I don't have to teach you. We could say it together. <laughs> I skipped a little bit. Thank you. Rules, consequences, and guidelines. If they don't conform, you can't... Li- oh, no. <laughs> you question, buy them this or that. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just get do what he told you to do. I don't know what it is. Make it work. How much love do you need to show somebody that you're going to control him with your love? You know how much love? That's not... You know, I had a parent that came to me, and the father says, I have no problem with my kid. 
And the mother says, you haven't looked at him in six months. Every time he's downstairs, you manage to go upstairs. Every time he's like, okay, bye, see you. Without me, you don't want to make him feel bit. You can't look at your kid. And he's telling you, the only way to get to the kid is, just tell me, if you go ahead and you're marachic and you put walls up because you don't conform, does it work? If you say to your child, I don't like the clothing that you wear and therefore I am not your parent anymore financially, you're on your own. Does that work? Are you going to get chevle avoises ahava? And in Chabad, you're asking me if you could buy your kid jeans? I see Shluchim wearing jeans. The Kulei Haivu Ulai, Yuchel Akarvan Latayra Vadis Hashem, the Hain Loi, Loi Hivsid Mitzvahs Ahavas Reyam. The Alter Rebbe ends off with Vaharachmonus, Mivatelas Hasina, Umoi Reres, or Ahava Kanoida. When you feel like you hate this child because he's rebelling against your family, the Rachmanus that you have for his soul that lost its way, regardless of usually it's what people did to them, but let's say, yeah, he's totally wrong. Rachmanus, that he's not able to enjoy what we have, should create such a hava for this child. And then you have that new love that you can use to heal him. Some parents, you say, I don't love this kid anymore. So have compassion and mercy, and your insides create, like inside there's like a factory, and you will feel new love, because you need a lot of love to get these kids. There are Chabad families whose kids are with Goyim. They want to marry Goyim. They're living with Goyim. You need more love not less love. The Rebbe and every Rebbe, the only medicine they ever came up with was love. And the greater the cancer, the more deep the radiation and the chemo has to be. So we water it down. I'm not coming if she's going to come and if you're going to let him come with her, we're not coming to the wedding. And then, So we're losing the account in the name of whom? The Rebbe said, you know all of this already. I can wake up any one of your 10-year-old children in the middle of their sleep and they can teach me word for word they can say it. The trouble is that some of you, somehow, it became an abstract concept. It's not being utilized of Lamaisa. Just last week, a chashav of a Chabad shul called me about a terrible situation. There's a man in his Tanya shir. Every single day he learns Tanya with him. And he has a 15-year-old son who is totally off the derech and extremely suicidal. We don't have time to talk about everything, but it's not an accident that parents call me up about the, oh, he's Machal Shabbos, and then they start hearing about the bipolar and the borderline personality disorder, depression, anxiety. We don't have kids leaving the derech because they're having a great time out there. We have kids who are in a lot of pain. And the father refuses to stop being tough on him. The father refuses to be kind-hearted and understanding of him. The father refuses to smile at him. The father refuses to go to anyone, me, for advice. And when the rough told the father, but you're going to lose him, the father said, if he kills himself, it's fine. I did all I could for him. I'm not mechuyiv to change. I'm not buying him jeans. I'm not putting up with his mishigasin. And all of the rules of my house are not going to change in order to accommodate him. If he chooses to kill himself, he'll kill himself. I don't have a bad conscience. And then his marriage is falling apart because his wife breaks down and cries. How could you talk like this? How could, he says, how could you talk like that? You want to lose all the other kids? You want the whole family to go up? 
He's learning Tanya for years and he knows exactly what the words say, but he didn't internalize the messages. He knows the words by heart, he just doesn't know it in heart. He doesn't understand that these are not just abstract concepts that you're learning. The messages of the Rebbe's is a practical guide on how to deal with the broken Nishamas. And this is why I'm here today. Today is the day that all of us in the world, and especially Chabad, must wake up and realize that just as we're, as we're mechuyiv, we're mechuyiv to look outward and search all over the world to find any Jew in any place, in any shape, and do whatever it takes at any price, with any self-sacrifice, to eventually bring them closer to Hashem, so too we must look inward to our own families, to our siblings' families, to our neighbors' families, and we must search all over our world to find any Jew in any shape. And we must do whatever it takes at any price, with any sac- sacrifice, to eventually bring them closer to Hashem. Any kid that struggles in a Lubavitcher family, from the first day of his struggle, should, be have, should have a hundred of you guys swarming all over them with hugs and love and being there for him. And we would never have all of this death and, and, and destruction would never happen from the minute of struggle that you see that somebody is struggling start to bake in the Ahava start to realize the Rachmanos start to have a network built around him there have been too many deaths I get the frantic phone calls from Shomrim and Atzala I get those calls how many of Chabad kids are in, in rehabs and in psych wards and you may think well there are crazy people in the world I have 300 families who have come to me in the worst situations. As a Sashem, since parents stepped into me, not one parent ever put their kid in a psych ward. Two or three years later, we don't have one parent with a kid taking heavy medication. All the diagnosis is gone. You can check it out. I'm not lying to you. Well, where's all the where's all the mental illness? Where's all the bipolar? Where's, how do you have kids? And I have professionals tell me, it's impossible. Four doctors give a diagnosis of bipolar, and two and a half years later, all four of them are saying, we don't know what happened, but it's gone. Where's the depression, the anxiety? Where's all the suicidal? Where's all the cutters? We never believe on her. We never have one suicide. And we don't have ever, ever that any parent that came to me ever called Shomrim. You ever get a call from one of my guys? Shomrim? Hatzala? My friend opened up Shomrim in Flatbush, they have a domestic violence unit of 20 chevra, just for Flatbush. And what are they dealing with most of the time? Domestic violence between parents and rebellious children. I asked them, you ever get a call from a TP parent? Never. Never a kid? Shomrim, Hatzala, psych ward, never. Never? Never. 95% of these kids on drugs go clean without any rehab. No rehab. There's a few, small percentage that are mamish, they need it, and I push them there, and we, we, we support that. I'm not against rehab, and I'm not against therapy. Whatever the kid needs. But I tell them, yeah, send them to the psych- psychiatrist. But you'll see the medications go down, 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 down. Two, three years later, sorry, wrong diagnosis. We got the wrong kid. Coincidence? I just happened to get the 300 plus families that didn't have real diagnosis? Really? By the way, the best psychiatrist not Stam. Uh, we had the best psychiatrist who, who diagnosed our kids from our group. We have 300 families. It's, it's everybody. 
Any kid that struggles in Lubavitch should right away feel this extra love that the Rebbe was talking about. I beg of you, Chabad Shluchim, as the leaders of Klal Yisrael in the field of Kirav Rechaikim, please become the leaders of Klal Yisrael in the field of Hatzalas Nidachim. And let everybody in Klal Yisrael look at you and learn from you. Let us all agree that today, Rishchaydish Kislev Tavshin Ayin Ches, that we officially declare Crown Heights as a rejection-free zone. And that every Chabad house in the world will officially become an Arei Miklat. That every Yiddishkind from any Kreisen, from any family in the world, will always know, if you are struggling, if you are in pain, if you feel like dying, if you feel like giving up, if you're on the bottom of the world, the Gashmis, the Nafshis, or Barachnis, you are welcome in every Lubavitcher home. And you are welcome in every Chabad house, anywhere in the world, regardless of what you dress up like, what you look like, how you act, how you behave. And you will receive not only a warm meal, but a warm hug. And let us stand together and declare in one voice, Dear beloved children of Klal Yisrael, from Borough Park to Lakewood, from Queens to Long Island, from Chicago to L.A., and from Bells to Young Israel, even if Chas Shalom, you are rejected by your families, like the thousands of kids roaming the streets, crazy, it's like the, like in the ghettos, like in the Holocaust, we have thousands of kids that are not comfortable being at home. Even if you're rejected by your family, you will always be warmly accepted by our family, because all of you are truly one of us. Why is this? You know why? Because we firmly believe five things. That every single year there's a chelik alakaim imal. Could speak to Litvax for that response. <laughs> that every yid is essentially good, that we may never give up on a Jew regardless of their current situation, that we must be moist nefesh ourselves and our families to save any Jew anywhere in the world at all costs, and that this important mission comes even before our own rachnis. And this comes from a Zayar HaKadosh and Parshas Truma. The one who is righteous must chase after the sinner. It's a chiyuv. Be willing to pay a high price, time, money, effort, in order to acquire him, to win him over, to bring him back. To cause him to purify himself from his spiritual filth. To subdue the evil powers of Satan. One who redeems the sinner is considered as if he created his renewed soul. I'm one person. Between home sweet home and TP, I have a hundred kids today, besides being alive, besides being home, besides being functional, besides being normal, who are showing me Hundreds. Each one of you can do that. I have nothing compared to you guys. This great accomplishment of bringing back a lost diamond to Hashem is more precious than any other service that you can give to Him. More chashev than tefillah, than tayr, than avodas Hashem. More chashev than everything. 
You subdue the forces of the evil Satan. And I think it's even more for the one who grew up here and ended up on the other side. Because they're already cashing in that kid. And when you could take that away, you could take back that kid and bring him home, it's even more chashuv. And what you do for the parents and for the zaydis and for the aunts and the uncles, unbelievable. And that's what it says by Aaron, He turned away many people from sinning. Afterwards it says, Says the Zayar, that's why Brisi Aaron and Moshe, he wasn't big enough. Why couldn't Brisi Because of his godless. No, it wasn't about his godless. He ran after Verabim Heishim Avoy. And like we said before, it was called Ayavis Habriyos. They weren't even acting like a, like a human being. And he loved them. He loved them. I speak to people like Ramosha, people on the street. We love these kids. They're lovable. As soon as you stop being anti them and having these ideas in your head that I can't, con- I have to control you and I can't give you and all of that stuff, stuff, stuff. That's all it is. It's just stuff. Ideas that come from Goyim. Comes from the Goyim. As soon as you get rid of that, you'll see how, how lovable, how sweet they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't it a coincidence? I go places, they say, oh, you think every kid is good. So no, everybody on the street does. Everybody on the street loves these kids. And all the people who hate these kids, hate. Maybe they don't hate them. They certainly don't love them. They don't understand them. They're willing to lose them. They're willing to lose. You know what a guy said? Yeah? Wow. There was always an Erev Listen, Kali Sol is doing very well. 10%. What? Willing to do curries? A friend of mine went to a place, I don't want to say where, and he met with one of the Chashev Askanim of the neighborhood, Chashev Askin, and he went there about whatever, and he's outside speaking to the guy, and my friend, who was a Rosh Hashiva, Tzadik, and he's talking to this guy, who's a Chashev Askin, and rollerblading by is three of our Unzer Kips, Kids in Pain with, you know, rollerblading with all that they look like, right? What they look like. And this guy tells my friend, we got to get the garbage out of this town. We got to get the gar- garbage out of this town. The Yiddish and the Shama, garbage out of this town. My friend put his arm around him and said, Rabid, I have two such garbages in my house. Started off with the wrong guy. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. He says, no, no, no. Put his arm around it. Let's talk about it. Garbage? How does people in Klal Yisrael so holy that you can say that a Yiddishkind is garbage and the people on the street who are picking up garbage and we look at them, we see they're diamonds. What happened over here? It's not a coincidence that every guy on the street sees their beauty because if you can look past the activity, yeah, if you go over to the kid smoking on Shabbos and you say, he'll bite your head off. But if you can go over and you can give him a hug and you can see past the external behavior, you're going to see a diamond, a sweet and usually very smart. We're losing our sweetest, smartest kids because of pain. It says, Anybody who seeks out the sinners and leads them by the hand, just for hishtadel, you're trying to remove him from his evil path. Nobody else goes up 
to these three levels. He causes the power of Satan to become weakened. He causes Hashem's glory to be magnified. And he causes the entire universe, universe to be sustained upper and lower spheres just by a shtadlus of trying. Grandchildren. And he goes on and on of all the brachas that you're going to go up to the 12th highest level with the Rebbe's over there and they're going to go and you're going to go to the elevator and you're going to press penthouse. And they say, what are you doing there? You're the Yid. He said, no, no, no. They come, the angels come, and they say, he tried to return souls back to Hashem. Penthouse. We all know that the Beis English was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. And we all know that the only way to be Zaycha is by rectifying the Chet of Sinas Chinam with Habas Chinam. You really want to bring Mashiach, right? That's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. You really want to bring Mashiach? I'm going to tell you how to do it. This is how you bring Mashiach. Satmar family came to me. Extremely Hasidish family. Not even the Shetel. They had on top of the Shetel. If you wear a Shetel, you're off the dark. It's a downgrade. It's confusing. Okay? They have a 15-year-old boy, extremely suicidal. He was the top kid in Satmar. Top kid. The top boy, all the years, and break down somehow, whatever, they don't know why. He's acting like a Meshuggah, 15 years old, happens all the time now. Going around the house in his underwear, cursing, F, drop, F, kicking his little two year old playing with something on the floor, goes over like Godzilla, kicks the kid, kicks the stuff, put cheese in the chillant. Destroying a family of eight, destroy, you can't live like that, all the kids are suffering. Everybody's suffering, and they go from one therapist to another therapist, and they put more rules and more boundaries, busting through everything. I want to die. Take me to a bridge. I'm going to jump. I'm going to kill myself. And the father went over to him once, and he said, Shafel, what, what can I do for you? What could you do for me? You can die. If you drop that. You ever heard such a thing? He needs more, more, more patch. He needs more rules. So they went weiter and weiter with the therapist until... They were told, throw them out, there's nothing you can do. Chazli Hashem, they came to me. Some of you will hear things that I do that are extreme. You know why? Because the situation is extreme. Somebody went over to a very Choshevarov and said, you're backing that this family with a boy is, it wants to marry a guy, and they go to Avi Fishoff. So you're pro-intermarriage? True story? Sugar. we're trying to get the boy to not need to do that. What's your idea? You have a better idea? You're going to cut them off? They're getting married tomorrow. So probably I and her, every single TP kid that got married, got married from Kadas Maishav Yisrael. I go to the weddings. Not even on a beach. Chasanols. Cost the parents a lot of money. They're not so happy. Like all the other kids, Tferis Rifka, all the regular Chasanols. Bliya and her, everyone. And people make up stories. A guy called me up, I'm so angry at you, Tainus on me. I'm like, what did I do? He says, you were Masadi Kedushin between Ayyim and Nagai. He said, really? I didn't know, I, I don't even have a Kapata. I, I don't do Siddhi Kedushin. <laughs> no? Never happened? Never happened. At least he didn't think I'm lying. You know, so he said, oh, I'll get back to you. Calls him back an hour later. You told the Rav to be Masadi Kedushin Ayyim and Nagai. I said, it never happened. For two years, he's harboring bad thoughts until he had the Kayak to come and call me, to yell at me. It never happened. Why would I do that? Every family that comes to me needs to have a letter from a Rav 
saying that the matzav is pikuach nevish, and the rav is paskening every step along the way. If a rav says you're not allowed to do something, we don't do it. How could it be that we're doing something wrong? So this family came to me. It's pikuach nevish, right? We're all rabbanim here, right? Is it pikuach nevish? Okay. We did crazy things. Crazy things, right? But what happened? We built a relationship. A few months go by. No medication, not suicidal, starts becoming pleasant. Another few months go by, another few months go by. I want to go to school, not going to a Jewish school, I'm going to a public school. Parents say, okay. Took a test, the kid is brilliant off the charts. Went to a public school an hour away to the highest. And the father, who's a tzaddik, who's a busy, busy guy in business, who tries to make a living, and his main hours are morning, drove, came out every day to drop off the kid in public school and or to pick them up from public school every single day to hear about the day and to talk, to bond, how's it going to happen if you're not involved in their lives? They gave up everything, time, money, energy, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Three years later, this kid does so well that a college in a different, I don't want to give away details, far away from home, a college saw how good, we're paying for you to come tuition-free to our college campus, and they paid for the flight. And this Yiddishkin is all alone in the world, ripped away thousands of miles away from home, surrounded by Goyim, who are having a good time, who accept him exactly the way that he is. Who's there for him? Chabad. Shliach. Campus. Finds the guy. You could tell who the Jewish guy is. He's the one who looks really angry at you when he sees you with a beard. <laughs> Pretty easy to find. Say hi. People say hi. Not you. Hi. Hi. Not you. Hi. <clears throat> you. <laughs> Starts talking to him. Maybe come for a meal. Not interested. Come for a meal. Not interested. Come. Okay, maybe. A uh, 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 couple of weeks. Couple of months. Huh? And this Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, this boy was in shul. Why? Because of Chabad. Five years of being estranged, if you go through the whole thing, two years before and then three years after, this kid wasn't in shul, and he was returned to his father in heaven because of you. You want to know how to bring Mashiach? In my twisted parenting group of about 70 parents, I knew that we're close to Mashiach. I felt the footsteps of Mashiach when I had a satmara person with a heavy accent say, Bereiv Am, Burich Hashem Falababich. That's how you bring Mashiach. Heroes of Kal Yisrael. The house is on fire. It's true. And many of our children are taka stuck inside. But there is hope. Because you are an army of trained firemen. You will be the ones to return all of our lost children from Satmar and from Bells and from Young Israel and from Flatbush and from Modern Orthodox. You're all we have. And you will make the Rebbe proud as you rescue each and every Yiddish child. And you'll carry them on your shoulders to greet Mashiach Tzitkenu Bekorev B'yemenu Mamash. Amen. This is Avi Fishoff and I can be reached at twistedparenting at AOL.com.